0: Hello and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is part two with Tad DeLay on the Evangelical Capitalist Resonance Machine. In this episode, we're going to talk a lot more about climate, and in that discussion I talk about the fires in Australia. One of the things that has become apparent is that this is not something that just happens overseas, but is happening in our own country. So right now in Colorado, we are having an extensive fire season. Last night smelled like a campfire outside and a little bit inside the house. And several times this summer, we have seen smoke roll through the neighborhood, even though we're more than 60 miles away from the closest fire. The Cameron Peak fire is up by Rocky Mountain National Park. And last night, the north side broke containment again because of the dry and windy conditions. This fire is extremely hazardous, not only because of the conditions, but because inside Rocky Mountain National Park, many of the trees have been killed by beetles, and so they're standing in the forest, but completely dead and ready to burn. On top of that, just over the border in Wyoming is the Mullen Fire, which is at 147,000 acres. The mix of these two fires is sending clouds of smoke down into the Front Range and across Denver. And while it has not rained down ash this time yet, that did happen earlier this summer. So that gives you an update on what's happening on the ground here and how this topic intersects with our reality that we're living right now if you want to know more about brew theology you can find us at brewtheology.org on twitter at brew underscore theology and on facebook and instagram at brew theology i hope you enjoy this conversation with tad and make sure to wait after the music at the end for our special yoda outtake i don't know this makes me want to jump to this paragraph (laughs) that you wrote for us about the statistics of how many think the end times will exist or not exist. And so when we're talking about some of the people that are checking out, this is what we're talking about. These numbers terrify me. A third Mm. of Americans believe that there will not be a 22nd century. About two-thirds of evangelicals believe Christ will return this century. About eight-tenths see violence in the Middle East as signs of the end times. Only nine-tenths of Democrats and half of Republicans believe the earth is warming.
1: At all. Not carbon, but just just at all. Yeah.
0: Nearly eight-tenths of Democrats believe warming is anthropogenic, while a quarter of Republicans agree, meaning that we are causing it,
2: right? Mm -hmm. That's not a bad step
1: for Republicans, let's be honest. And even among millennial and Zoomer Republicans, it's only about one in three
2: believe that we have anything to do with it.
0: And so. that yeah. gives me
2: a little hope, though. One and three. I'm just saying it could be it could be zero.
1: Yeah, it, it could. But what I'm saying is, like, when you take the whole Republican Party, everyone from like whatever, uh, 18 to like 100, um, the difference is bet- uh, a quarter to a third. Right. That is, I mean, that's a very we're talking about seven points, say points here. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of difference, but it but it's not it's not very much and it's not clear that it will matter. In the long term, so yeah,
2: um,
0: so these numbers are just
2: you—you you, you the good news, Janelle, on no, that last, good that news last sentence. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, the ten percent. Um, there's been a ten percent change in people overall that believe in climate change. Yeah, something like in nine the or last 10, few years. Yeah,
1: just in, I think, just like since like March. 2018 to 2019 so that's good Um, yeah yeah so there there's a there's a change there's a there's a discussion happening about this um and i think that the so that's that's like on the face of it that's very good news um it could become bad news so i think we need to tend to that idea i think we need to keep having those conversations but i also i mentioned the other night that it stands Perfectly reasonable to me that that um, that denialism could convert into like, well, Saudi Arabia is like causing all these problems. We better invade them and make them a vassal state. Like Mm -hmm. that switch could happen just overnight. I think so. It's it's important to kind of keep like the idea that like it's not just that people are converting, but like how they are converting, what kind of conversations we are having. Um, Well, what does
0: something like Madrid do to this, or don't we know yet? Where we just had this big meeting and it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, everything I've read is that people are coming out of that feeling very lukewarm and that's not good Mm -hmm. because the science is not lukewarm. It's hot. Mm -hmm. And so how will that, how could that impact like public conversation and awareness? Any ideas?
1: Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I think part of the problem is that we part of the problem is just like the the lack of democracy uh and like the 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 the, the instrument of plutocracy is is just making things vastly yeah. impossible to deal with right yeah. like if the if america for example was a, a a democracy we would be in a vastly different position in order to like to kind of generate some uh, some movement on this issue, right? But because America's not a democracy, like we're, we're kind of moving in the opposite direction of where we need to go. Um, one of the, if we can kind of like deal with how can we change something, because I don't think that you and I have anything to say about any of this, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and this is like literally one of those spaces where like when it comes to climate change, I do think the best thing the average person can do, like far more important than like recycling or, um, even, even activism is literally just having conversations with people. Yeah. Um, I, I think that actually is the most that most of us can do. Um, and, uh, but think that probably one of the things that we're going to have to deal with is that, uh, that change the great changes are going to happen, and when they do, they're going to feel very, very much like new normals. So, um, you know, again, my author that I keep referring to, Kim yeah. Stanley Robinson, when he when he describes New York in a hundred years, hundred twenty years, as uh, as not being abandoned so much as it's like overrun with water and the seawalls collapse. You know, a few different times, and then people just give up and start floating around the city on gondola taxis. Yep. That that actually seems like really intuitive Possible. to me. Um, you know know when we uh when uh michigan is the last place with a beach like it seems intuitive to me that that will just feel normal it'll feel normal that the government has eminent domain debt the rich have bought up their plots a and few they're gonna destroy the great sand dunes the great,
0: yeah, yeah, great sure. bear dunes awesome.
1: um, so like all of that seems like very kind of intuitive to me um, when we have, uh, there's evidence that suggests that fires, wildfires could be as much as 60 times worse at four degrees. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, um, it seems perfectly reasonable points where we're kind of like, uh, it's fire season, like the high fire danger this week, we're just not going to drive down mm-hmm. I-70 because like it's too risky. It, the fires are 60 times worse than they were like uh, 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, and, and also everyone needs to stock up like uh, with a shelter of food in the same way that like in the south where I grew up, people had uh, tornado shelters and you had food down there. Average food has enough food. uh, Average average city has enough food for three days, Um, so people are just going to start like a new normal is going to be like we have like enough food to last like a a week for sure, non perishables. And people are going to start like adjusting to that, and that's just going to be like the way that we do things. Um, Mm. And we're going to do that because at COP twenty five we can't come to any sort of discussion on how to make any of these changes, right? Yeah. So. That that's my thoughts, right? Yeah. The cop thing is uh, the the most infuriating thing. If people haven't been tracking with that, is that even though the U.S. pulled out of the the Paris Accord and will officially exit it next year, um, and you know, and even if a hopefully it will not matter because hopefully somebody else will become president yes. and, and basically the world will understand, okay, you're out of it for like a month, but then you'll be back in it. Um, but uh, but officially we're scheduled to um, withdraw on the day after the election next year. And e- we were still had a presence at this COP25 UN conference last week. And UN uh, the UN said that U.S. negotiators were working behind the scenes to weaken all of the commitments that yep. the big countries had already made, even though we're not in this agreement anymore we still had a present there, like trying to weaken the commitments that other nations had. And and that's just that's just nuts, right? Like that's, again, that's that black pill, nothing mm-hmm. matters, whatever. Just, yeah. just kill everything. It's all hilarious. Nothing matters. It's all funny. And that's not
0: good. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of your fires, again, this will come out after it's over, but go back on Google and look at Australia right now. Um, I just saw pictures two days ago of Sydney, and mm-hmm. it is catastrophic. Like I think in some we're being protected from a lot of this because of our news media mm-hmm. and the total blur of our apprentice in chief is keeping us from seeing what's going on around the rest of the world but australia is burning i mean yeah. and it's it's so bad in sydney that you can't see anything.
1: Yeah. And would I, but I think that like the state of panic will also be a new normal too. Right. Because yeah. if you remember like two months ago, what was the version of that was the Amazon is burning. Yep. And and that actually is far more terrifying. And it um, may, I don't know if it's still
0: burning. Cause... Yeah.
1: But like, you know, these things taper off and, and I think that there's going to be kind of like a, and these are all bad things, right. I'm not saying that you're trying to like yeah. mitigate them. Um, but like the fact is, is that no single one of them is actually going to kill us off. So it's just going to kind of feel like a slow rolling, like, more and more horrifying things and yep. people are going to start to tune out, right? Like it's it's not that the Amazon is burning. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, the fire season in the Amazon's kicking up again. Like that's going to be that's going to be what it is, right? Yeah, um, you know, like hurricane season, right? That we have right now. Well, like once the the new hurricane level start, I don't know how high hurricanes go, so four or five, five now. Yeah. yeah. So like once the once the sixes begin, um, mm-hmm. we're just gonna have like a you know uh, another hurricane six coming through this season. You know, it, it, it's just gonna we're yeah. gonna have more and more of these new normals that people just kind of acclimate to, and I think that that's kind of a fascinating way to think about the future is that like the world doesn't end. The f- world feels like really boringly normal. That's a way that feels very boringly normal now. Yeah. Um, like several generations on, it just wouldn't look anything like what we feel different. like. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah so and, the, and it's not just the natural disasters. Like our whole economic system is going to have to adjust, right? Like right. we won't have capitalism in the same
2: way. No. So, so yeah, that, that's, that'd be a good segue then. So what, what do you think is the solution? If, uh, if we don't have capitalism the way that it looks like today, let's say 50 years from now, in the U.S. Yeah. What do, what do you... I know you're not a futurist.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not a,
2: Yeah. Uh, but you've done um, historical uh, research. I have, yeah.
1: um, So when we talk about capitalism, it's important to to state that we're not talking about like buying and selling or entrepreneurship or negotiating wages or starting a business or anything like that, right? Capitalism is a specific mode of production that is one-tenth of one percent of our species history or less, right? We have had trading and buying and selling before capitalism. We will have it after capitalism. Capitalism is specifically a mode of production in which the people doing the work don't get paid for all of their work, right? Part of the, the value they contribute Goes to an owner, right? So, in other words, the workers are exploited for the benefit of an owner. And the way that capitalism works is that it can only reward. Uh, continuous expansion and our problem is that we have a world of limited resources so you have an economic system that can only continually expand in a world of limited resources it does not have an incentive to care about the future does not have an incentive to care about human life or the welfare of the workers it needs them to be like minimally healthy enough to carry on production and that's about it right? so so capitalism um, has all sorts of internal contradictions and problems within it Um, And we can maybe even think of it as kind of going through a few different phases, one of of exploration, one of industrialization, one of financialization. But we're kind of we're bumping up on the limits right now because capitalism is purely financial, right? Um, The people who make the most money in the world do nothing, right? The the richest people in the world uh, trade pieces of paper or like digital versions of pieces of paper and call them stocks or bonds or derivatives or swaps or whatever else or puts. Um, They are literally contributing nothing whatsoever and they are burning down the world. Right. So so capitalism is also the most violent mode of production that we have ever created as well. Uh, And in that one tenth of one percent of our species history, it has brought us to the brink of mass extinction and possibly full scale civilizational collapse. And so whatever you think is the benefit of like, and there are a few benefits, right? like it does kind of innovate. It's not clear that we need like a Facebook, but it probably does innovate like cars or something like that <laughs> or trains or something like that, that we could definitely have without it. But um, we have to, we, we will not solve um, this climate crisis if we are still on the, the, the capitalist train, right? Like we have to get off of that. Um, And this is a point that Lana McClain also makes, right? Like Mm -hmm. this, like in her prior book, um, that we actually have to change everything all at once, right? This is also the impetus behind like a Green New Deal, right? Um, trying to package a Green New Deal with not just having more people working in the solar industry instead of the coal industry, also having like healthcare for everybody. Um, that's part of like the whole solution, right? right? Like everything has to change because when a hurricane comes through Puerto Rico and it's partly fueled by climate change, because there's no more natural disasters, right? Like it's important to say every nat- every quote unquote natural disaster. Is made worse by human activity, with the possible exception of, of earthquakes, which sometimes are also caused by, frack, by fracking. Yeah. but like all all, the natural, up, di- all of the natural disasters, like in the air, are now made worse by humans, right? Like so that yeah. natural, like uh, the classic problem of evil. Like you yeah. know, there's a difference between man's evil and natural evil, or whatever. Like no, they're all the same now. Um, so like God's never off the hook anymore. When when uh, you know hurricane comes through and, and wipes out uh, Puerto Rico and kills three thousand people, it's primarily because they didn't have access to power and healthcare, right? Right. So like that that's one way to kind of think about like it. So it's capitalism killing them, and it's the hurricane, and it's the coal industry and the, the oil industry. Like all of mm-hmm. these things are killing. So um, so we talk about like we need to move away from coal and do more solar, but we also need to do things like healthcare and education because when natural disasters strike that's actually where most of the killing is going to happen as in the healthcare industry so so like the, the, we need to think about like big big systems and make really really big asks because the people who don't want to give us what we're demanding uh, really are fine, fine with like 3,000 people dying right? Yeah. like 9-11 for some reason was a big deal when the exact same number of people of American citizens die in Hurricane Maria nobody cares right so like th- I mean that that's the world that we're facing is, is we need to think um, at, you know what can we do. Again, we can't do much. We can have conversations, but we can definitely make really really big demands and make the biggest possible demands and support the people who are uh trying to take leadership roles who are making really really massive demands and and yeah. not ever give your time of day to somebody who says, "Well, that's just not practical." Right? right, right. Because just like it, it is really expensive to try to save human civilization in the moment that somebody, like, somebody tells you that it's not practical or it's too expensive to save human civilization, just write that person off. They have nothing to contribute. Right. Yeah.
0: It, she's really clear in Naomi Klein's book, On Fire, about that we did this once. We did this in the New Deal. Mm-hmm. We reformed our culture and our capitalism, and we made, we made huge changes that made a big difference. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's what we have to do. We have to be all in. Mm -hmm. It's all or nothing. These incremental things are not going to do it on their own. We've got to do the whole package. Um, Part of the way that they lay, she lays this out in the epilogue of her book. um, And I can just, I'll just give you the little um, bullet points here. Um, One, it'll be a massive job creator and she gives the data behind moving from coal to renewable resource jobs. Paying for it will create a fairer economy. So that helps take those systemic discrimination and, and flatten that out and make it equal or more equal for all. Yeah. Um, three, it taps into the power of emergency. So instead of going from emergency to emergency, we can kind of bypass some of that. It's procrastination proof. If we do it all at once, it's done. It's recession proof because the amount of jobs that it will create and the the way that it will alter the system will help us keep moving forward. It's a backlash buster. Um, because it will work, it will keep people from stepping away from it and saying it doesn't work. It can raise an army of supporters. It will build new alliances and undercut the right. And we were born to do this, is their <laughs> last point. Yeah. Um, that This is what we need to do if we want to live. If we want to save the planet and change the world, then we have to do it now. Mm-hmm. And it's radical. Like the, I don't think she would argue that it's not radical, but it's also like it's necessary That's the seriousness of what we're facing. Mm -hmm. I knew a lot of this, but when you read this book and are confronted with it and confronted with what all is happening, it is going to take radical change if we're going to stop this. If we can stop it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we need to dismantle a lot of resonance machines right now. Right, And in my... My area of, of expertise is white evangelicalism and its relationship with capitalism, but there's there's other resonance machines as well, right? Um, there are other countries in the world that are dragging their feet that don't yeah. have denialist parties or white evangelicalism, right? Um, so so it's it's not so like the the Republican Party might play an outsized role of danger in the world, um, probably unparalleled. In in my I don't know if you can bleep this out if uh, this is not okay for your audience, but I, I would take it as clever, like just clearly true that the Republican Party is the most dangerous. Dangerous organization in the world right now. Um, I, but also, again, every country that uh, every major developed country in the world has this problem, even without Mm -hmm. a denialist party. And I think it's it's important to kind of say we can talk about danger without making it all about this one thing and just like voting them out of office as if that's going to solve things, right? Because then you will have like a, another party that kind of drags its feet on right. things, right? Like that's not the solution. Um, but uh, that, I mean that that's the that's the problem that we face, and it's and it's connected. You know, she she brilliantly, I think, opens her book. Uh, by talking about something that I wish he spent a lot more time on, which is like this new like um, reactionary fascism that we're seeing spring up all over the world. Yeah. And it is not a coincidence that we are seeing the resurgence of new types of fascism at the precise moment that we're seeing climate change fueled migration across the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so like like we are not going to vote out the stupid like anytime soon, right? That fascism is is baked into the system in a feedback loop now um, and and it's going to resurge even more so. And we need to bravely call that out when we see it because like whatever is, is reactionary now against the migrant today, uh, justifying the establishment of concentration camps for kids that are kidnapped according to a kidnapping policy, that's going to get worse, especially yeah. as, as every border in the world – becomes concentration camp written right like concentration camps have like a a fairly um andrea pitzer has written a a great book called i think one long night that kind of traces the global history of concentration camps and and it's important to kind of think through like the way that we're going to see those the way that borders and migrants are going to be um, intersecting with new fascist movements and all of this is all of this is about climate and economy and class and um, all of these intersecting problems. And and I think it's, it's important for us to kind of, I, I do like that she ends, like Naomi Klein ends her book on such a positive note, right? Because like the truth is, is that we think our battle is a battle of information, but it's a battle of desire. There yep. is no common good and we are running out of time. And we need to be serious about the types of resonance machines that we are confronting and be honest that there is some hope. I genuinely think that there is some hope, um, but we are running out of time and we don't have time to like, play games with like, you know, new spins on old things that need to die.
0: Yeah. We have to confront this head on. I, thought it was, I think it's really interesting how you comment on the concentration camps. Um, this will tell you that I'm way behind in TV watching, but in Jack Ryan in the first season, one of the episodes in there, you see the boats leaving Turkey. And I thought that that was absolutely, it just kind of blew my mind. Like, I don't know, maybe I've just been in underground, but seeing how like they were running and escaping and what they were running and escaping into to then go across the ocean in this rubber dinghy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really brought home for me like the severity and the humanity of this, of, yeah, you know, even in this in this fictional, and I get that, but this privileged woman who was trying to protect her family was gonna end up in a dinghy with a life vest, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that, for me at least, that it, it, just, it just made it more real, even if it is on TV. I mean, it just, that's what the world is gonna turn into. Sure. I mean, how many millions of people have already done that and will be doing that? And what are we doing to protect them? And to stand up for them and to find find our way through
1: this, yeah, yeah, Got the answer is almost nothing, so, yeah yeah, <laughs> again, there's no definition for a climate refugee in, in an international treaty, so so kind of Im- that would be an important first start and there are there are groups that were uh, lobbying for that at, at cop uh, twenty five uh, just this past few weeks, yeah um, and there's groups that are kind of continually recognizing. I think we'll get a we'll get a category of that. Uh, Pretty soon, but I I think what we'll also get is within our lifetime, we'll start seeing um, instead of people like arguing about whether or not people from the Northern Triangle or Mexico have a legitimate fear of like for their life if they return right. uh, you'll start to see like well are you really a climate refugee or are you just like wanting more money because like those will, those will be the same thing right yeah. like wanting a decent job and like fleeing climate ravage like nations yeah. those, that will be the exact same thing so you'll start getting you know new types of technicalities where people will say um, literally this is coming like just in the next like whenever they institute like climate refugee status so like right. it, it'll start being like the new talking point will be um these people are taking advantage of yeah. our of our yeah. lax immigration system that allows for actual climate refugees and we're totally fine with real climate refugees. We just don't want people taking advantage of us, right? Like it, all yeah. the talking points will be a boring, uh, like the exact yeah. same thing. Like it'll just, it'll just be recycled with like minor words transferred out, right? Yeah. So that, that's why it's important to be vigilant and say like, no, we like we have a system built on racism and, and guess what? Concentration camps are like uh, mass detentions for people based on uh, who they are, not what they've done. Yeah. Um, and regardless of like what technicality you want to talk about with the law that's what we have right? Um, right and and whoever is like the next liberal president will probably continue that that legacy as well right mm-hmm. um, and i would bet that uh, liberals will be at some point on board with like drone striking migrants as well like all of these things we need to be vigilant because it's it's not just the openly uh, reactionary uh <laughs> empty-minded types that are going to be doing these things right like it's going to be the smart people too right so so we have to we have to be very like constantly critical and and be very honest about what we're watching in the world
0: yeah this will seem like a jump for our listeners but we talked about this at the brewery um she has a map in here on page 162 and what it outlines is um where there is starting to be water insecurity and where we are sending drones in to attack people mm. can you talk a little bit about how that image struck you when you came upon it and how that factors into yeah this? so
1: if you if you were tracing the aridity line which is kind of like the minimal area where there's enough rainfall to grow crops if you were tracing that around like northern africa and the middle east it would kind of go around like let's say like around about the latitude of syria around the northern coast of Africa, and then around, like if you were kind of looping it back around, it would be the bottom of the Sahara. If, if you were to trace where major drone strike operations are happening, they will happen in major metropolitan areas that are right along that aridity line. So that means that we are now drone striking where cities lie along this water stress line. So... Um, where there's just enough water to that, like, I mean, because, like, outside of that aridity line, there aren't big cities because, like, they don't have enough water to have crops and a sustainable, like, whatever uh, infrastructure. So, um, right now, most of the places we're drone striking, with very few exceptions, and there are exceptions, but most of them are right on this aridity line, which is water stressed metropolitan areas, urban centers. So another way of saying this is if you projected out, if you gave me enough data to project where the aridity line will be 100 years from now, I could probably tell you where will be drone striking. And let's say if I had like, or you had a relative, uh, you know, a descendant who was working in the military, they would be fighting in the water wars, right? Which will, which will. uh, uh, everybody's always said that the water wars will kick up around like 2030, 2040, but apparently they're already in gear, right? We're already like the early water wars Already begun. Um, but we don't call them water wars because what it actually looks like, we call it like tr- we use the traditional monikers of like wars against like terrorism and Muslim extremism because what a water war looks like is it looks like aridity, um, which produces water stress, which produces crop failure, which produces famine which produces political unrest, which produces large amounts of unemployed 20-something men in the streets who are often armed, which produce bombing of embassies, which produce a news report on CNN over here in America about a terrorist attack. Yep. right? So so we go in and bomb something, and Naomi Klein kind of, I think, rightly says, in the same way that our fighter jets traced oil, our drones are going to trace aridity lines. right? And so... So uh, if you have kids that fight uh, in the military, they will they will fight in the early water wars and they will be killing people over lack of water. Um, But they will think that they were fighting for the same reason that people thought they were invading Iraq or whatever else. right? Uh, They they will be told it's because of religious extremism. And it's not like uh, that's that's not the way that people make decisions. Uh, People do not make decisions based on. Uh, like they don't they don't just like decide to ideologically commit violence, right? the The economic circumstances they're in are primary, and then the uh, ideological justifications for that come secondary, including the religious justifications. Um, if somebody is doing something and basing it on religion, uh, like extremism blowing some embassy up or something like that. I can tell you for sure they are they have all kinds of economic and social stressors in the background of that. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's that's kind of one of the things that we're looking at is, the, yeah, the, the aridity line is going to um, tell us a lot about like where the early water wars are going to take place. Um, and that's why you have like uh, I don't know whatever American Africa Command or whatever the stupid term the military uses for that. <laughs> that that's why they're yeah. looking at global warming as a national security threat is because they understand that they're going to need to begin killing lots and lots of people in Africa in order to keep up the justification for the machine. Because like that's that they they literally have been predicting this for like ten years now. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that the next place that they're going to start killing people is going to be in places that don't necessarily have oil at all, uh, but it's, they're going to be water stress so we're going to see like uh, react the, you know religious reactions against that so yeah so anyways not my area of expertise but um, but like I, I, you don't have to believe me you can like literally read like the, the stupidest like DOD budget request on like how to deploy troops in Africa and and you'll see that they, they genuinely believe that they're going to be killing people based on like where water stress is right so, yeah. so like you don't have to believe me on any of that But it's there. It's right there.
0: So much good news.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's been a lot. Yeah. If anything, I mean, if people who are still hanging in there who claim the Christian label, I mean, think about Jesus talks about being the living water. I mean, come on. If this isn't going to get your your ass in gear with some convictions. But
0: they won't interpret it that way. Put those
2: two together. I don't know. I think some people will. I I have more hope with people than you do. But that's also our personalities. (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right. Um where do we end the night? Final final thoughts, last words? Well you we you say, say you
0: have hope. Where do you find hope in the
2: midst of this? Um, I, so one thing that I do
1: always, I know that I have like a, 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 you know, a stereotype of being like very gloomy about all this, but I, I do want people to understand that I do the work that I do because I think this is, this is a battle worth fighting. Um, if there has ever been a spiritual battle in all of history worth fighting, this is it. Right. Um, so, and, in. We live in dire times and dangerous, dangerous times. Uh, we live in the most massive migration in Earth's history. We live in the rise of of new fascisms mm-hmm. that we're not just talking about one or two countries anymore no. we are talking about a global coalition of autocracy and in fascism and xenophobia and violence like we will never see um, we live in deeply deeply dangerous times and if i thought that there was no hope i would just go do some like completely useless job like be a hedge fund manager and make a lot of money and enjoy the time while it <laughs> lasted right like i sorry hope no, no hedge fund managers are listening uh, kim if,
0: stanley <laughs> and predicts it. Okay, so. well, yeah, just...
1: Um, but, um, but, you know, I, I would I would not be a teacher. I would not waste my one and only life doing research and writing this up in books. I would not be sitting here having this conversation if I thought that none of this could be solved and it was all for naught and, and all of that. So, like, I regardless of whether it's naive or not, I feel like this is a spiritual battle worth having, and, and I feel like it is the only spiritual battle that that has ever really been there, right? I mean, yeah. it is the spiritual battle for our times. I mean, if, if you want to find meaning in the world today, Find some way to implicate yourself in what is coming. If you are a bureaucrat, find a way to think about how you can help people. If you work on a power grid, think about like, the way that power is going to be distributed 20 years out from now. If you work in the healthcare industry, think about like, the ways that we're going to have to change things in order to deal with the massive influx. Um, they're, they're like Every single little thing that people do. Yeah. If it's a job that actually needs to be done in the future, there are ways to begin thinking about adjustments and to throw yourself into this thing um, and to learn about it. Like learn about it. Uh, it's a lot of scary stuff. There's a big range. There's everybody from like this can be fixed with market solutions. Those people are lying. Don't believe them. Uh, <laughs> to like people who say like we'll probably be extinct next year. There's there's a big spectrum in this world. Uh, but learn about it and have conversations with yeah. people and think about it. Right. And and, I, and again, I want to stress. Um, more like far more, uh, importance than you recycling is literally just having conversations with people and, and thinking about this and thinking about the adaptations that are needed and that are on the horizon. So, um, yeah, throw yourself into things. Um, and it might be naive and we might go extinct, but like whatever else, like what, 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 what can you do? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's one, one report I heard, um, yesterday was about the buyouts for farmers in Iowa. And I think that's gotten lost this year in all of the political hubbub, but they spent, it was something like $1.7 billion for farmers to make up for the crops that either weren't produced or were lost Mm -hmm. because of climate change. And I think that making, helping people make that link is really important. And that's done one-on-one in those conversations because they're not going to accept that from the news or they're not gonna accept that from Naomi Klein, but if, if you can walk with someone through that conversation, it may make a difference in how they start to see the problem and open doors that there's something bigger going on here than just one bad year. We're talking I mean, over a billion dollars injected into our system to keep things afloat and that's not normal. Mm. It shouldn't be normal. Yeah. What gives you hope, Ryan? Ryan always has hope.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, the interconnectedness that we see within humanity um, that can, I think, transcend a lot of just the bullshit. I mean, I, I also feel like there are people even who claim to be evangelical, people who claim to be Muslim and who are, you know, agnostic, who can all sit together. And I think that's part of what we do. I mean, this is why I always say I enjoy the fact that we gather people from different affiliations now it it takes an open person to do that so open people give me hope how about that (laughs) yeah you don't have to you know at the end of the day you don't have to agree on on things but you know you can at least like how do how do we somehow come to a place where we are looking at uh, humanity right civilization the earth and seeing how like these are all connected and i think in some ways i you know gosh the tribal affiliations aside i i I do have a feeling that people can, can get there. Not all, and may, maybe it's just the few that give me hope, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, like earlier, that one in four stat, if you were listening to us earlier, one in four Republicans. I'm like, I, I like that, because that's at least one.
0: All right. Well, Tad, thank you again for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on again. Yeah, we, we love appreciate. having you.
2: Yeah. Incredibly insightful, and if people want to follow you, where can they go?
1: um tad uh twitter i'm at tad delay facebook you can search for my author page uh i have a personal profile but i also have an author page with all my work um yeah i'm pretty easy to find because there aren't that many tad delays so um <laughs> yeah but i also have a patreon page if you'd like to support me there i have some some extra content that i put out that i don't put out uh, publicly um and Uh, you can find my books uh, wherever books are sold Um, you can give your money to the uh, worst person in the world with too much money already uh, on Amazon but you can also just order from literally any bookstore they're always happy to have a special order books Um, and I also if you search wherever you get podcasts if you search my name Um, I have a 10 part series because I, I wanted to, um, the authors basically get no money for books. So I don't actually like, I would like people to read it because I put a lot of work into it. And, um, but I also, um, created a podcast, which is kind of a shortened version of my book. It's a 10 part one-off podcast that I'll never update again. Um, but it basically every chapter gets like two or three episodes and, um, So I I wanted to give it away for free for everybody who didn't have the money or time to, to actually go through a book. Um, so yeah, so Spotify, iTunes, Google play, wherever you get your podcast, you can search my name and and find the tad delay against podcast. So sweet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we'll put links up on our podcast of your podcast so that everybody can find their way around and, uh, Thank you for
2: joining us. Make uh, sure um, you share this on the line. Share it, love it, rate it, review it. Thanks right. again. Cheers. Very good. Uh, are you watching The Mandalorian right now at all, Ted?
1: No, but you know, like Yoda, Yoda, <laughs> like while we're on that, I think it's important to, to say that Yoda is like the ultimate black pilled nihilist, right? That <laughs> just sits around giggling through reticles while the galaxy burns. And that is precisely our problem today, is that a lot of people just think that you can just like tell jokes and riddle around and kind of disappear from problems like while the galaxy burns while the world burns yeah. um and that's that that's the that same like like you know uh, whatever I'm being facetious and hard on Yoda here but uh i i do i do like this idea that, like, at well, least Anakin Yoda, cares. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 and Yoda's Yoda, Yoda's laugh and like lack of ultimate concern for anything in the world really, uh, while like thousands and thousands and thousands of people get slaughtered by spades Nazis, is kind of akin to the situation that we're in today, where people kind of laugh at like the concern yeah. again of the Zoomers who are like somehow <coughs> concerned that they're going to get gunned down in their school if they're not lucky enough to die from climate change, right? Um, anyways, yeah. whatever. I'm, I'm just uh, Yoda. If you're out there, give a shit, please. Yeah, you, you just fuck off. Right? I, I should have. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> you can bleep that out. Right? Yeah. Sorry, I don't, I don't know what I'm. I, I, allowed, don't I don't think so. Know Keep I'm that one in there. That That's funny. Okay.